Good morning and welcome to the show. This is The Hair Affair and I am your host, Christine. And today is part three of the special series for Honoring Women Vets. Why would a woman want to be a U.S. Marine? Well, here is an article from the Brookings Institute from a woman Marine herself. I graduated from Marine Corps Officer Candidate School in August of 1995. Proudly wearing a Marine Corps shirt and lunging with my mom, I was somewhat surprised when the waitress at the restaurant asked, gushing, if my boyfriend was a Marine. Before I could answer, my mother quickly jumped in, oh no, she's a Marine, a lieutenant. The poor woman was obviously embarrassed and leaned in, honey, my brother is a Marine and I didn't know we had women in the Marine Corps. I could tell she wasn't kidding, so I tried to alleviate her discomfort. Well, I said, I'm the only one. We had a good laugh and she departed to take care of other customers. In the meantime, she took a minute to call her brother, who verified there are females in the Marine Corps, but reported that he had never seen any. True, we were small in number, but I didn't realize how small. Being 1995, I couldn't simply pull out my phone and Google number of women in the Marines. Brace yourselves, we didn't have internet or smartphones. The whore. The truth is, according to the Defense Manpower Data Center in 1995, women made up less than 5% of the Corps. After 10 weeks of OCS, which combined male and female platoons in one company, I didn't sense from the men or the other women that we were rare or special, but Marines. After paying the check, the waitress, turning her head, said, I don't know why any woman would want to be a Marine. This is the first time I remember being singled out as an anomaly. In the years since, I have often been asked a version of the same question, why would a woman want to be a Marine, and how does it strengthen our ranks? Since I now have less time in front of me than behind me in the Corps, I had some time to think about it. Why join? Fundamentally, the reasons a woman would join are the same for a man, love of service to our country, the ability to save for college, and a desire to see the world. Here are a few more reasons with upgrades for the current times. Pride. We have an old slogan in various commercials that dub Marines as the few, the proud, and asks, do you have what it takes? Women in the Corps are fewer and proud, and we're still the smallest number of women in any service by percentage. Though since I entered in 1995, the number of female Marines has doubled. As the smallest service, Marines have always felt special and different. Because of this, we've had a sense of pride in ourselves and our organization like no others. Our ethos and history, full of examples of leadership and bravery, supports this. Couple that with being a woman amongst mostly men and the pride goes deeper. There's an intense feeling of accomplishment that comes with being able to keep up with and even lead others. Experience. Military service allows you to learn skills and to experience places and things you otherwise may have not. The experience coupled with veterans, preference for many follow on occupations is priceless. Despite some congressional restrictions on women serving that were present when I was coming up in the Corps, I was never restricted from anything I wanted and was capable of doing. With the disappearance of the front line on the battlefield in Operations Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom, and even earlier, women were filling roles in direct combat long before it was formally legal. Now women found qualified and can serve in the capacity they choose. In combat, my female Marines, alongside their brothers, manned machine guns and fought bravely, and no one by their side questioned their role. The challenge. Initially, you'll be put to the test mentally and physically, perhaps like never before. 
The challenge grows with each promotion and the weight of responsibility that accompanies it. As you learn, grow, and climb the ranks, the challenges change, but they are ever-present. And of course, the uniform. The Marine uniform is among the most distinct and recognizable in the world. I love my brothers and sisters and other services, but let's face it, we've got this one. With the recent changes to the uniform instructions, the Marine Corps is the only service to allow men and women wear nearly the same duds, the leather neck collar, and dress blues that have been turning heads for years. Overall, therefore, the Marine Corps value on combat leadership places the emphasis where it should be, not one gender of the Marine. The Marine Corps is far from perfect, but we've come a long way. I have no regrets on the path I chose so long ago, and I have stayed because of the Marine to my left and right. A band of warriors, and we all believe the same. As the nature of warfare changes and the front lines blur further, those who can maintain leadership traits in any environment will be increasingly valued regardless of gender. Women Marines are some of the toughest yet compassionate, feminine yet fierce warriors I've ever met, lionesses. A Marine is a Marine. No quarter is given for being a woman, and more importantly, none is expected. Equality at its best. So, let's talk to one. Grab your cup of coffee and join me in the beauty lounge. Welcome to the show today, friends. And I've got a special guest and her name is Delia. She is a Marine living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I'm excited to have her on the show today. Welcome. Nice to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I'm glad you're here. You're a Marine. Tell us a little bit about how and when you enlisted. So I enlisted my senior year of high school. At first, didn't know what branch I wanted to join. I knew I wanted to go into the military. I knew I wanted to go into aviation because my dad was in the Air Force. And so I grew up with him teaching me about all the different aircraft and what they did and how they worked and everything. So I knew I wanted to go into aviation. I talked to the Army recruiter. I talked to the Air Force recruiter and I talked to the Marine recruiter. And for some reason, the Navy was just never really on my radar. I, I, I didn't really consider them. So we I didn't really talk to them. <laughs> we won't say anything to my dad about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I first started out, the Marine recruiter is the first one that I talked to. And he's the one that kind of piqued my interest in joining the military to begin with. I talked with him a little bit. And then I came up with a bunch of questions that I asked to all the recruiters. And I really paid really close attention to how they answered and what their answers were. In the end, the Marine recruiter really made the biggest impact and he he was always really open and honest. He wasn't your typical stereotypical recruiter. Mm -hmm. He was very open and honest about everything. He didn't sugarcoat anything. He really just told me straight up how it was going to be. And I really respected that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I'm also the kind of person that never does anything the easy way. <laughs> and so <laughs> I chose the hardest branch. <laughs> That's kind of how I got started. Um, this was back in 2008. Okay. I went to boot camp in September 2008, graduated in December, then went to my schooling, which lasted until August of the following year of 09. And I went into aviation. I was a hydraulics and structural mechanic on the F-18s. Oh, wow which was a lot of fun. My first duty station was in Iwakuni, Japan. Ooh. And so I spent two years in Japan and loved it there. I went on training detachments to Thailand, Korea, and Okinawa. Then my second duty station was in San Diego at Miramar. Okay. While I was there, we deployed back to Japan and we hit Guam and Hawaii, a couple other places. 
uh, around Japan and in the area. In total, I was in, I was on active duty for about five and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I already have like so many questions for you. <laughs> oh, sure. Bring them on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first, uh, where did you go to boot camp? I went to Paris Island, South Carolina. Okay. I want, I figured it was probably going to either Paris Island or San Diego, isn't it? San Diego. Yep. yep. Okay. So now there, there's not really a division in where Marine recruits go to boot camp, oh. but, and that's just been recently, I think within the last couple of years that they changed that before that it was that for male recruits west of the Mississippi, they would go to San Diego, east of the Mississippi would go to South Carolina, but all female recruits would go to South Carolina. Either way, they're both hot and muggy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? If you're going to go, go big, you know, right. go big or go home kind of attitude is what I have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I can relate to that. And then where did you end up for your uh, education after that? First training station was at Pensacola, Florida. Okay. That's where I kind of learned the basics of aviation and the mechanics and just kind of a general overview. And then my secondary school was in Oceana, Virginia. And that's where I really learned how to work on the F-18 wow. as my specialty. And so they, they went into the individual um, parts and components and how the, the jet flies and all of that stuff is. Um, and then from there, I went to Japan to wow. actually work. <laughs> Everybody I've ever talked to that has been stationed in Japan absolutely loves it over there. Oh, yeah. You've really enjoyed it while you were there. Oh, yeah. It was probably one of the coolest places I've ever been. I, I always tell people that the two places that I would absolutely go back to in a heartbeat is Japan and Thailand. The food is amazing. The people are so great. And the culture, just being able to go somewhere that has a culture that is thousands of years old uh, is just, it's something else. Sure. It's, it's really hard to describe, you know, because being here in America, we're, we're a fairly young country. Mm -hmm. And we have cultures that come from all over the place. We're, we're kind of just this conglomerate from all over the world. But when you go to these countries that have been around for thousands of years, and their culture really hasn't changed very much. It's really special and, and really cool to be part of it and to experience that. I would, if I could afford it, I would go back to either one of those places in a heartbeat. I, I would be there as quickly as possible. I understand that. That's amazing. I had to go to New York City twice this summer for some training. Mm -hmm. I have always felt like if I were asked to go there tomorrow again, I would do it in a heartbeat. And in oh, the yeah. beginning, I was like, "Ugh, New York, but <laughs> but it's New York. I felt both good and bad about it. But my experience with it was pretty incredible. And I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to for mm -hmm. the same reasons for the culture. I got a day to where I could go to uh, Ellis Island and I really didn't get to spend a whole lot of time on Ellis Island, but that was really cool. And I would love to do that all over again, but take the time to really go through it instead of just a quick, you know, oh, shoot, we're going to miss our ferry. We got to go kind of thing. Right. That's like small potatoes compared to <laughs> what you got to experience. That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Okay. Tell us besides Japan and Thailand that you were over um, there. Korea. I spent some time in South Korea, Guam and Hawaii, and then a few of the states. My next door neighbors growing up were Korean, and I really got to know their family well. And 
As a kid, I don't think I appreciated their food as much as I might now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. I was always like, why is there seaweed just boiling on their stove? It just (laughs) didn't make sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, when I was in Korea, it was at kind of a really tense time with North Korea. They were acting up a little bit. And so we didn't really get a lot of liberty to be able to go out and, and do things off base. I was able to go on a tour of the DMZ while I was there, which was a really cool experience. In fact, they I, I have pictures that I could probably send you if you wanted to see them. At the DMZ, they're, they're really famous pictures of the way that it's set up. You have on each side of the border, you have their main diplomatic building and they're facing each other from north to south. Oh, wow. And then in between, there are these smaller buildings that straddle the border so that when the leaders need to come down and have a meeting, they go into these buildings. But inside, they have guards from the South Korean side, the good the good side, sure. I guess. And they are there to protect everyone from inside because the North Korean guards that are outside of the building are kind of notorious for trying to grab people inside the buildings and pull them out to to make them seem like they defected or, you know, they crossed over illegally. And so you have all these guards inside these buildings. And I have a picture of myself kind of doing a cheeser next to one of these (laughs) guards. and He's just standing there at his post. The DMZ was really cool. We got to go to a couple memorials as well to the to the war. Other than that, and that was just one day that that we went and spent doing this tour. Um, but other than that, we didn't really get a chance to leave the base at all. We were we were pretty much stuck just for security reasons. That would be really crazy to see, and I can only imagine the tension that was felt, whether or not there was a meeting going on down there on the border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were told it, this, the scary part about being there at the DMZ was we were told not to stare or point or gesture in the northward direction at all. Oh. Don't do not do it because they have guards that are posted along the border in the trees where you can't see them. If they feel like you are being threatening in any way, which you could just be staring in the wrong direction, they can shoot. Oh, my goodness. And so we had to be really careful about where we were looking and how long we were looking and don't gesture or point in the wrong direction or anything like that, because you never know if someone's going to be there watching you. Wow. Yeah, that's scary. I that just made like the the hair on my neck stand up a little bit because you don't think <laughs> about things like that. It's right. just evil. Yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience, but it was definitely scary. At any given moment, you, you could be shot for you know, staring. <laughs> Takes bravery, though. Sounds like you were pretty brave. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. That doesn't mean you're not afraid. It just means you're you're there yeah, and ignoring it for the moment. Right. <laughs> How long was your dad in the Air Force? He was in for four years back in the early 80s. Did you have anybody else in your family that was military? A lot of uncles were in the military, mostly Army. Uh, I have one that was in the Navy. I had a great uncle and a cousin that were both Marines, but they were the only two on on either side of my family until I joined. And then two years after I joined the Marines, my younger brother joined as well. Um, Right now I have my older sister's husband is also in the Navy and they're stationed in Spain right now. Oh my goodness. Um, So lots of military in the family, but... I was the the first female Marine 
of course, and only the second female on both sides of my family to join. My my, I have another cousin that she joined the Air Force in the early 2000s, I think. So there are only two, and still to this day, there's only two two women in, in both sides of my family that have been in the military. Kudos to you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's something to be said. Uh, did you ever think about doing this like at a younger age or was it something that you just kind of woke up in high school and you're like, this is what I want to do or how did that happen? So... I mean, like I said, I, I grew up knowing my dad was in the Air Force and I've got all this military in my family, but it never really was a consideration for me up until my senior year. And then just a couple months into the year, uh, actually, I think it wasn't even a couple months. I think it was about a month in. I ran into the Marine recruiter, you know, because they go to the high schools yep. to try to get kids to to join. And I was just talking to him and I said, you know, I've got all this this military in my family. I've got a really strong history. And he said, well, have you ever thought about it? that one question just kind of sparked everything. I gave it some very serious consideration. I took about five and a half months to go over all my options, to really dig in and, and talk to people. I reached out to my cousin that was a Marine and got his story and talked to a whole bunch of different people who were from the other branches, uh, just because I wanted to make sure I was making the right decision. I didn't want to just jump into it. I took my time and kept in touch with the recruiters the whole time. I only met with the Army recruiter once, and I didn't really care for him. He was kind of your stereotypical recruiter, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. kind of sleazy and sugar-coated everything and just made it seem like it was going to be the best thing in the world and nothing bad was ever going to happen, you know. Sure. And then the Air Force recruiter, he kind of had this attitude that he didn't really care if I joined or not. It it just didn't really seem like he was interested in bringing me in at all. He just was very blasé about it. But the Marine recruiter was very engaging. He was honest. He, like I said, he, he answered all my questions. He didn't sugarcoat anything. He was very straightforward and, and upfront with everything. And it just made a really good impression on me. He met my family. He met my parents. We had him over for dinner so he could meet all my younger siblings. It took a long time for me to come to the decision. But once I made the decision, it it stuck. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't talk myself out of it. Sure. Well, it definitely sounds like that he went and took that extra step to develop a relationship with you and your family. Because, yeah. I mean, your family has to be somewhat at peace with your decision because they obviously right. they want to support you, but they also need to know that they're supported supporting you, if that makes any sense. Yes, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, um, my I'm, I'm the second oldest of six kids. Oh, and so by the time I was making this decision, my older sister was married and out of the house. So it was just me and the four younger kids. And. I, I included them in the whole process, you know, because I wanted them to know what I was doing. I didn't want it to seem like I was just running away from home and I wasn't going to be there anymore. Right. The recruiter was really great with with my siblings as well, you know, because they had a million questions and he answered them all. Wow. He, he really took care of our family. And when I went when I left for boot camp, he was there for my parents and to to take phone calls and to answer questions and to get them in touch with me when they needed to. He, he was really great. I can only imagine the million questions that your mom probably had, like your dad, oh, yeah. he's been through it, you know, he has an idea, but I'm sure your mom had, no matter how many questions were answered prior to you leaving after you left, I can, she probably, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. that's really good. I'm glad to hear that. Do you have any 
crazy, funny stories that you want to share from your experience? <laughs> um, I met a lot of really cool. Oh, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'm halfway through my thought there. <laughs> when I was in Thailand, the second time, because uh, I, w- I went there twice. The second time I was there, I was able to kind of make friends with some of the local kids that lived there on base with their parents and a complete language barrier. They didn't speak English. I didn't speak Thai. So I had no idea, but I like every time I would walk past them, they would run up and give me a hug and they would just chatter and talk. And I would just smile and (laughs) nod my head, you know, a couple guys that I was hanging out with. uh, We went over to, because these kids, their parents would run like a food stand uh, at a certain part of the base. And so uh, after work one day, we went over and we were getting food and the kids were in the parking lot playing this game. One of the ki- one or two of the kids spoke enough English that they kind of explained the rules to us. And so we spent like three hours just playing games with these kids. And, and it was so much fun. I was also able to go on a tour of one of the local high schools, spend some time with the students there. In Thailand, I'm not sure if it's still the same way, but when I was there, it was actually a law that all students, all kids of school age, have to learn English. And I believe the reason why, if I remember correctly, is that one of the members of the royal family spent some of their childhood in America and realize the importance of speaking English because it is one of the most common languages in the world. And so they made it a law that all students have to learn English. And so we were there at the school to help them practice their English and to socialize with them. And, and it was really kind of funny because I have dark hair, but light colored eyes. They had never seen that before because they're used to having dark eyes and dark hair. Right. And so they were just enthralled with the way that I looked. They were constantly like getting really up close and just staring at my (laughs) eyes and taking pictures. One of my friends and I, the first time that I went to Thailand, uh, we went on a tour of the, the bridge over the River Kwai which is this historical site that um, has to do with the war, one of the wars that was going on over there. I can't remember exactly what the details are, but I had this family. There was the, the a man and a woman and a couple kids, and they walked past me and then turned around and came back to me and said something that I didn't understand and then just started taking pictures of, of them with me. Oh, <laughs> and so I asked the tour guide that I was with, I said, what is going on? And they're like, it's because of your eyes. They don't see light colored eyes very often. And so when they do, it's like this novelty for them. Mm-hmm. And so both times that I was there, I I had to deal with a lot of attention sure. with with people just coming up to me randomly and wanting to take pictures. So that was kind of fun. And then let's see what else. I have been to the war memorial in Hiroshima, Japan, multiple times, the site where the atomic bomb was dropped. It's a very harrowing experience to be there because the, when you look up pictures, there's a, a, they call it the dome building Mm -hmm. that was almost directly underneath where the bomb detonated. And so this whole building is gutted, but the framework is still there. And so it's right in the center of this park in this memorial park. They have the museum that has a lot of pictures and clothing and artifacts from people who died with the uh, from the the bomb. 
but it's it's a beautiful park it really is if you ever have a chance to to go to southern japan you have to go to that memorial park really beautiful as well they they take a lot of pride in taking care of that memorial making sure that it's appreciated how did it feel being on the other side of that knowing that it was the americans who were responsible and you were there visiting as an American, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How did yeah. that? Um, it's almost, almost makes you feel guilty sure. for, for knowing that, that we did this, um, you know, cause growing up in high school, we only got the American side of the story, but then having been in Japan and so close to where the first bomb was dropped, um, it's a whole other perspective. And it really did at some points, you know, especially walking through the museum and seeing the pictures and hearing the stories and, and reading all of this stuff that happened and the lives that were taken. It really makes you feel a little bit guilty for being on the wrong side of the story, I guess. Sure. But of course, Imperial Japan definitely has its flaws. I don't think they're considered considered Imperial Japan anymore. I think the war kind of put an end to that. But they were not great. They were definitely very, I don't want to say evil per se, but not good. Right, right. <laughs> There's that perspective to keep in mind also that even though America dropped this bomb on on the people and it was such a horrific thing, there's the other side of of what Japan was doing as well to to not just to the Americans but uh, to the other countries around Japan that it was it it was not a good thing but it had to happen. I have been to Pearl Harbor twice, and oh, yeah. the second time I was there, I was with my mom, and for that visit that we had when we were waiting to go out to the Arizona, there mm-hmm. were Japanese that were um, on the same, I guess they were going to be on the same boat with us. Uh-huh. And all they were doing was like pointing at the Arizona and laughing and snickering. And oh. it was it was a bad experience. All I could think of was the war itself sucked flat yeah. out, you know, for everybody. I really hope that Americans, when they're visiting other memorials such as you, it was the same war, treat it as a matter of respect for that country, regardless. Because it just, yeah. it really, it angered me. And I started to walk towards them and say something to them. And my mom pulled me back and she was just like, Christine, hold your tongue. Like, it's okay. You know, <laughs> just, just hold your tongue. And, but I just, right. I couldn't believe how they were acting. And that was a bad experience for five minutes. You know, that I was there for a whole nother reasons. Yeah. Well, how interesting. Yes, I would definitely love to have you send me some photos. And I will post them on my podcast website. Sure. Do you feel growing up and knowing, you know, we grew up with the American flag and, you know, we kind of have an idea of what it stands for, but we don't really truly understand until we're older or like for yourself being a veteran now the true meaning and understanding of the flag and I'm sure now you have a completely different appreciation and feeling towards the flag yeah means much much deeper and I I truly appreciate that Um, everything that you have done for our country things that I wouldn't even myself be able to do Mm -hmm. and I just want you to know um, that you are valued and 
you matter and being a veteran is amazing. I hope that you understand that and I hope that you receive that same gratitude from from others. I do. And it's it's very humbling, you know, when when people find out that I'm a veteran, that first off that that I'm a veteran and second off that I'm a woman and third off that a I was marine. a marine. <laughs> hey, once you a know, marine, I always get, a marine. Exactly. <laughs> um I get varied reactions to that but it's it's always very humbling when someone says you know thank you for your service it's i think a lot of veterans would agree that that phrase even though it's it's appreciated it we never really know how to react to it sure. i just have started saying you know thank you for your support yeah it's a little awkward sometimes when when people say thank you just because i i don't really know how to react <laughs> during my conversation with delia the only part of it that was awkward was when I said, thank you. When you're talking to a veteran sometimes and they just don't know what to say, because sometimes words just don't say what they're feeling. And sometimes saying thank you to them throws them off guard because they don't know how to respond. And it's, and it's awkward all around and it's understandable. But what you can do for a veteran is sit down with them, have a cup of coffee, just ask them their story. If they're willing to talk, listen, and give them your un undivided attention. And truly, that's all a veteran really wants is to be able to talk about their story. Thank you for joining me. We have one more part to go, and we will be talking with my dad tomorrow, and he is going to finish up this special series for us. So be sure to like and follow the show so that you know when there's a new episode available. Also, be sure to check out my website, theheraffairwithchristine.com. On there, under the show notes, there will be pictures posted of Delia's time in a few of the different countries that she talked about. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk again tomorrow.